worry, everybody. The new episode is coming right up. But first, I want to remind you there are three quick ways that you can support the Fat Guy Forum and help the show keep going. First, make sure that you have rated and reviewed the show on whatever pod service you're using, whether that is Apple, Spotify, or whatever it is. Make sure you're doing that. Two, you can join the Patreon for a few dollars a month. You get access to the after show. You help keep things going because this show does have costs. And you're able to be a part of the Fat Guy Forum community that I would love to see grow, get your input on what you want to see going on with the show, and more. And the third and final way, if you can't join the Patreon, but you're buying products for yourself that I'm an affiliate for, like Redmond Real Salt and Kettle and Fire Bone Broth, there are links and codes in the show notes where you will save money when you use them, and I get a little bit to help things going here. So, please... Pick at least one of those ways to support the show if you enjoy listening to it on a regular basis. And know that I appreciate whatever you choose to do. And now let's get on with the episode. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet, and I am happy to be with you once again. I hope that you all enjoyed last week's episode that was a little bit different, where I shared an interview, someone interviewing me. But now we're back uh, to the the old school format here, you know, it was such a long break, one week, but we are back with a new guest on the show. Uh, his name is Todd, and Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, I sure appreciate you having me on, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man, I'm doing good, I'm excited to get to talk to you, I just discovered you and your story recently on Instagram, so I was really happy when you were like, yeah, let's 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 jump on and talk about it, so let, let's get into it, man, tell us, what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Well, I guess uh, I've, uh, I think I've been qualified for a long time. <laughs> I was born a real big kid um, and uh, kind of fighting weight my whole life. I was 600 pounds when I was like 14 years old and I was just a big, you know, big kid my whole life. <laughs> Never a day that I was, I wasn't fighting this, you know. And can we, can we and, talk about that for a minute? Like, yeah. Because I think that uh, I'm sure there's some people listening who are like 600 at 14. And I know there's so much more even to your growing up story. But I'm curious, what what was life like for you at 14 to being that big? Um, you know, I mean, uh, health-wise was hard. But um, the... Uh, you know, the other things like I just, my life was a little bit different when I was young. Uh, like I, I didn't go to school. I was homeschooled and then we were pretty broken, <laughs> poor when I was a kid. So, uh, and dad was, he was, he got out of the Marines, but he got hit with agent orange. So he couldn't, uh, he couldn't really work. Sorry about that. Cool. Uh, my dad was in the Marines and, uh, yeah, and then this, you know, he got hit with Agent Orange and started having heart attacks when he was 38. So that was kind of, uh, kind of hard to, uh, make a living, you know, and, uh, on the, on the budget there. So, uh, you know, we were homeschooled and then dad got an electronics degree in the military there and, uh, started, uh, uh, doing electrical contracting when he got out of the military. And so we would go to work with him um, and uh, from the time I was like 12 or 13. So I didn't really have any of the, uh, you know, the the popular, you know, kids are getting ridiculed in school type of stuff because I was always around adults and, and I was kind of, you know, I just didn't have that problem. I didn't have any self, you know, 
like self-confidence problems or or I didn't, I didn't have any of that actually it was pretty well adjusted with people i didn't have any of those issues but uh construction work at 600 pounds sucks oh yeah <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that like my feet were killing me my back were, was killing me i was getting you know calluses and just things on my feet that were just like debilitating my knees were killing me my hips were killing me it was just it was long days you know and uh did you, yeah. did, you know, at 614 and, and going from there, like, did you stick, were you like that size, like as you continue to grow up, did you slim down? Like, where did things go for you? Oh, from I, yeah. Mul multiple times I went on yo-yo diets and I lost huge, huge weight. You know, I, I lost, I lost over 200 pounds twice in my life and over 300 pounds twice in my life, but always through starvation diets, like nothing sustainable. You know, I'd, I'd seen doctors and, um, when I hit 18, I ended up working on a job site and my lungs got compromised by breathing in a bunch of Corbon insulation as it was getting sprayed in. And I ended up with a, a condition called reactive airway disease. I guess, um, people that work on like pools and around chlorine and stuff tend to get it cause it's, uh, it's basically well, when you get exposed to a bunch of chemicals or whatever, at a certain point you uh, develop kind of like a chemical-induced asthma type thing. And uh, I got that when I was 18 from breathing Corbon. And uh, that also took a hit on me after I was 18 because then my I, I just can never breathe. <clears throat> that hurt me sleeping. It hurt me working. It hurt me walking. It hurt me doing any exercise. My um, my oxygen from the time I was like 18 years old was like 88% all the time. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was just not a great, uh, not a great, uh, thing to happen in with the weight. Cause it was making it really hard, you know, it was making it really hard to exercise or, you know, do any of those things. I just blended. Um, so, but yeah, so I'd always go on a starvation diet cause, uh, you know, the standard American diet definitely did not work for me. Uh, I was a sugar addict. You know, most of my weight I put on from drinking soda. I didn't actually have that. You know, I could eat for sure, but uh, you know, it just wasn't a real thing because, like, I was faced with this six hundred pound body all the time, and so I knew, you know, you know what it's like when you're big. You you have your bad days and you go off the rails, but also you're like, if I do this much, uh, I'm gonna, you know, be eight hundred pounds or a thousand pounds. <laughs> gonna be on tv and and end up dying shortly you know so you so i just didn't eat but it was the you know it was the calories i was drinking that was killing me because i was helplessly addicted to soda you know and that was where i got all my you know energy and that's what made me feel good and that's where i got my endorphin fix was always soda you know soda energy drinks iced coffees all the all that stuff you know which the funny thing is like i i think if people you know people out there listening like you kind of, I think there's sometimes this perception, because you, you hear it all the time, like when someone says, well, you know, look at that person. They could not eat for three years and they still have, you know, as much energy as they needed with the amount of fat they have on their body. But the reality is, is it's almost like the heavier you get, the less energy you have. Like you're not accessing the energy that's stored in your body fat, you know, easily. Like that's not something, you know, it's not a switch we turn on and off. Like it's not as, it's not that easily magical. So so just when you're that big, just getting out of bed, you know, getting up, moving through the world, you know, can take that constant supply of energy. Oh, for sure. They, yeah. I mean, that's where, 
you know, later in my story, that's where I got, you know, I got stuck at a recliner for two and a half years because I couldn't get out of the thing between my weight and my health and I caught COVID and stuff. And, and that just had me chair bound. And yeah, all of a sudden, you know, it was like, uh, it, it was like, a you know, a five hours, uh, in the field was when I was 18. Now it takes that to, to take a shower, you know, like it's incredible. And, uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, I guess we'll kind of get to it, but <clears throat> right now in my life, I'm finding out, uh, specifically that my problem most of my life was, I was actually malnourished. <laughs> most heavy people are, you know, I would say all morbidly obese people are malnourished people, you know? And, uh, yeah, and they, they are, you know, I'm, I'm going through that right now. And so that calorie in calorie out thermodynamic hypothesis is absolutely insane, right? Because, uh, you know, I definitely was eating a lot of calories, but it's empty calories. And the thing that I never agreed with that, you know, everybody's like, you know, go online, look up a TDE calculator, find your, you know, your BMI, and then you want to be in a calorie deficit. And that's all that matters, right? You can eat, you can drink soda and you can eat pasta. As long as you're in this calorie deficit, you're, you're going to, you're going to be great, you know? And, and then in the next breath, they say, but don't, under eat too much because your metabolism will go into shutdown and you won't lose any weight, right? Well, to me, that was always completely silly <laughs> because if you're telling me that there's a crazy variable where my body can regulate its own fuel uh, efficiency and it can choose uh, to, and it can choose, you know, how many calories you're going to burn based on, you know, how many calories you're eating a day and it can ramp up your metabolism essentially and ramp it down to conserve fuel or burn excess fuel off. Well, then how can you tell me there's this static, uh, static maintenance, you know, calories and that I need every day, uh, that's written in stone where if I eat under that, you know, based off my age and height and sex that, you know, that this thing is just that that simple. How can you break it down that simple when you're not talking about all the variables that affect your metabolism, mm -hmm. you know, affect your fuel efficiency? And that's, you know, and I, I definitely want to get into that when we get to the kind of what you have been doing. Like, let's let's just get a little more into, like, I want to, I'd, I'd like to hear you talk, if you can talk a little bit about kind of like where, so you're heading into adulthood still, you know, in this very large body, losing weight, you know, having those, those successful periods through starvation and putting the weight back on, like, where was your head at through all of that? Like, cause I know, for, I know for some people, it's like this idea, like they, they talk about having those times where you feel, you feel that desperation, you, or like you said, you know, you feel that television show looming. Um, but then there's other times where it's like, I know the frustration, I know the frustration of the ups and downs and kind of where that puts you at. So for you, where where was your where? I'll let you, know, you talk. <laughs> yeah, I, no, no, I'm explaining no, the question no. enough. I'm explaining the question enough. You go. Yeah, ahead. you know when I was so that happened kind of when I was like 11, 12. You know, I was I was real big. I was I was having clearly now. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was having sleep apnea problems. I was scared to go to because I would stop breathing, and I was worried that I was gonna not wake up. You know, and. Those things were hitting me quite a bit, and I just kind of had that moment where, all right, I, I something's got to change, or 
you know, I, you know, I'm either going to die or I'm going to die trying to fix this, you know, because when you're that big, quite honestly, you start worrying about things like, uh, you know, if I go out on a walk, am I going to have a heart attack and drop dead or <laughs> have a heat stroke? You know what I mean? And you, you start thinking that, and that was actually one of the reasons that I went to work was uh, I pushed uh, to kind of go in the field soon because I'm like, I got to get some exercise. I got to get to move and I got to have a purpose and a schedule and get up you know, and do these things. Uh, and so I was kind of pushing for that. And, uh, and I got, you know, I, dad, dad pulled me in there. My brother was definitely helping me to, um, you know, he was, he was, uh, later in the story, you know, I went to work for him and, and he was running my tail off on purpose. Cause he, you know, dad was trying to protect me most of the time. My brother's like, that's not helping. So I'm going to run you in the ground type of thing. <laughs> Get some weight off you, you know, uh, both different tactics. But, you know, that was where it started, basically, was when I went in, went to into the field and started working. And uh, I realized that, you know, how until I got exposed to the real world and kind of young adulthood and working and stuff, I didn't realize how much this was going to affect my life until I kind of got that realization where working, seeing what work is every day, seeing what, uh, a, you know, a job is and working 40 hours a week and what my life held in store for me, what I was going to have to do every day and, and how hard it was. I was like, things you got to change. And that was basically what started my, my dieting roller coaster. you know, seeing dietitians joined a gym, <laughs> you know, seeing trainers and all this stuff. Uh, just trying to make something work, and that was when I was feeling, realizing that I was in a real pickle because I did not lose weight easily at all, you know. And so that's what always what kind of started it. And uh, you know, the first one was this balanced, you know, balanced calorie restrictive diet. I was supposed to eat eighteen hundred. Well, at first I was supposed to eat. Uh, I think it was like twenty eight hundred calories a day, and I was trying to get it trying to get it down to eighteen hundred calories, but what would always end up happening is I would have to get out, get rid of the soda and drinking the calories, you know, to do that. And I was so addicted to caffeine and sugar and my body just did not make any kind of energy out of proteins, uh, you know, or fats worth a darn that I just felt bloated and miserable when I would eat, uh, you know, when I would eat protein and fat. And so I was always on carbohydrates, but when you're trying to eat healthy carbohydrates, it just, man, it just keeps your brain on, you know, you just want soda all day long. You know, you just have the, so many insulin crashes that you just want soda. And so my natural thing, every time I was on one of these diets was uh, to, to stop eating. And I didn't understand it then. I know it now that it's easier to go in a fasted state of ketosis than it is to stay on the insulin roller coaster and try to practice moderation, <laughs> you know, but that's what I was doing. And I would do it every time and I would do, I'd stop eating, you know, like an example of that, as I say, I stopped eating, but I didn't stop completely eating. But I like uh, most of the time I would eat either like 500 calories in the morning just to get started and then i would just stop eating for the rest of the day or one of the most successful ones i would only eat every uh three days i'd eat about twice a week and i'd eat a, a thousand calories or less when i would eat i did that for 17 months and that was 
actually when I got down to the lowest weight I've ever seen in my adult life, which was 337 pounds. And then I got married and then my wife started cooking healthy, like, you know, whole grain pasta and brown rice and all this stuff. And, you know, I, <laughs> I came over 300 pounds so fast they give you whiplash, you mm -hmm. know? Oh, I know about that personally. Yeah. So, but which makes sense because you were starving yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you, you go from that place of, of starvation to now, you know, even if it's quote unquote in a healthy way, abundance and you know, your body's going to freak out. Oh, absolutely. And now that, that's what was happening. I was getting, things started happening in that, that 17 months there when I was eating twice a week, I was playing softball. We were working all the time. We're practicing softball. I was working out. I was doing all these crazy things. And I lost because I wasn't eating anything. I wasn't eating protein. I wasn't taking electrolytes. I lost uh, a bunch of muscle. I tore my right rotator cuff. I ended up having to have a knee surgery on my right knee that year. Um, I was getting tunnel vision. I'd be out in the outfield playing softball. And I was just start blacking out. I was hearing a ringing in my ears for some reason. And then I started getting really low on electrolytes. And that's why I was like, I can't. I was lighter and I felt a bit better because I was lighter, but at the same time, uh, I had new problems and I didn't have that much more energy. Like it was, it was all a whole new set of problems was all it was. And it was also not fun being hungry like crazy for 17 months, you know? Well, yeah, that was going to be one of my other questions. Like what, what was, what was your hunger like during those times? You know, every time I'd have to eat, because I, I, the reason why I would eat wasn't actually because of hunger. After three days, a fast always, for me, got way easier, you know? But but it was uh, because things, you know, bad things started happening. I was getting so tired and weak from not eating that I'd have to have a little bit of something, and then that would, like, pump up the, you know, what I think was happening is I would eat, I would get a little bit of a metabolism spike in my, <laughs> and things would start running again a little bit. And then I'd ride that for three days. But otherwise it just, it was like, it was like, you're peeling me out of bed. <laughs> in the morning. Like I was just dead to the world. And, and the anxiety and depression was through the roof at this time. Like I have never been, you know, well, one other time was the anxiety and depression worse, but that was, you know, later on in my life. But at that time, it was the worst anxiety and depression I'd ever had. And, and it was just, it just sucked. You know, it was like uh, not doing that sucked and doing it sucked. Yeah, like where do you turn at that point? Like, right. you know, it's, it seems like no matter what you're doing, there's, there's a, you know, for lack of a better term, there's a load of suck coming along. Exactly. And you just... Mm -hmm. You know, people act like, uh, you know, well, if he just, you know, he, it's a choice to be that big. If you just, uh, make a decision, I agree. I would like to, but I would like, you know, I got there myself. I did stupid things. I ate terrible. I drank so much calories. I, you know, I got myself in a pickle, but I did not want to be in that pickle anymore. And I was willing to do a lot of stuff to try to get out of it. But when you're, when you're trying to navigate it, nothing seems to work. And nothing's really, you know, you can make some things work, but they're not sustainable and they come with a whole new bag of other problems and things that are plaguing you. It's like you're looking for this answer and uh, you can't find it. And people are thinking, 
you're not trying because you're not achieving this thing. And it's like, I actually, I am <laughs> trying. This is really a lot more complex and difficult than I ever thought this was going to be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, especially when you're, you know, and I think this is a common thing that happens, especially, you know, for a lot of us when we are, you know, north of 500, north of 600 pounds, the solutions offered are the ones that are tailored for the person that has 25 pounds to lose. Exactly. You know, has 30 pounds to lose or is only going to need to be in that deficit for not 17 months, not 34 months, you know, not, not five years. Like it's, there's there's context to it all. Go ahead. Absolutely. These systems are built to, to, uh, these systems are built to treat a symptom, not a disease, right? They're, they're not getting to the root problem. And and because for most people, they don't have that root problem. I've always said it's like, it's like I go to the doctor and he has this protocol for people that have knee pain. And, and the guy in front of me goes in there and says, I sprained my knee. And he says, here's three aspirin. And I go in there and I'm missing my leg from like the knee down. And he's like, here's three aspirin. <laughs> it's like, we don't have the same thing, okay? There's there's something way different going on. and I, But he would just give everybody, you know, just like you said, the guy that needed to lose 30 pounds and the guy that needed to lose, you know, 400, he would give the same same right. kind of spiel to, you know? Well, and that's, and I, I have to, I say that, I, it's funny because I find a lot in the show that I have to like, worry about the feelings of the people that had the 30 pounds to lose. Because when I say that losing 400 pounds, losing 300 pounds is a completely, it's a completely different animal. And you know, the, the response is, well, you know, that 30 pounds I was carrying was the hardest thing I ever had to do. And I'm like, I'm not discounting that that was the hardest thing you ever had to do. But the, the circumstances for someone that is 600 pounds, that is 700 pounds it's a completely different ball game in terms of the challenges they're facing. It's not just a eat less, move more issue. It's, it's not, you know, you, you know, you know, this, if someone were to walk up to you at 700 pounds and say, Oh, you know, Todd, have you ever thought about eating a little bit less? Because, (laughs) you know, I think if you considered eating a little bit less, you wouldn't be in this situation. Exactly. And it's like, wow. Never, I never ever thought of that. Well, thank you so much. Like exactly, you know, and God bless all those guys, right? right They're just like, trying to help, and the, and they don't have any any idea where you're really at or what you've done, and and they see you, they see your. You, we wear our condition like on the outside, and it is in the public view. So it's, I always say this. That's what you know. I don't know about you, but I always, uh, I was the funniest guy in the room when mm-hmm, I was growing up. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like I just, you know, everybody would crack up. I'd have people rolling on the ground. But the reality of it is, it's, I think it's because all these people that care about us, when we walk in front of them, we're dying, right? We're dying right in front of them. They can see it and it's right in their face. And you're just, you're just like pulling, you, you could just tell that you're bringing the mood down and you're making people worry about you. And you're just, you're tired about every time somebody sees you that they feel bad. <laughs> right. Know? Oh no, hundred percent. Yeah, and so you deflect all this, and you and you you know you get you get this whole uh, you know uh, almost alternate personality where you're like, ah, no, I'm big, but I'm healthy. No worries. The doc says I'm great. Ah, I'm big bone. I'm strong. All this stuff, and then you make jokes. You crack everybody up. You 
you you know you guide the conversation and you deflect things and you just keep people you know just occupied and sidetracked and you get you get it away from that that awkward conversation because it's always going to go to the same place which is they want to help but they have no idea how deep you're in and they have no idea how it's not going to help at all (laughs) and well and it's almost like you live when you are significantly overweight you live your life with that worry about yourself and trying to solve those those issues and try you know desperately trying different things and going through all of that and you're concerned for your own self and it's almost like the next biggest fear is that 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 family member or friend walking behind you is going to tap you on the shoulder and say i want you to know that i'm concerned i'm worried about you like okay now i got to carry that as well you want me to, you know i know you are we don't we don't need to have this lengthy discussion about it because like you said you're not bringing anything to the table that's going to change what I'm currently struggling with. I appreciate it, but it's it's like one of those conversations in life where it's like, okay, I understand you need to get that out, out of yourself for you. It does nothing for me. It just creates right. more and anxiety or concern for me. Totally. And and like I I you know, God bless him, but it's just like uh <clears throat> you know, I've been working on this a long time. Like <laughs> I live this 24/7. I really am, even though you don't see it, you know, and they don't see it because we don't let them see it on purpose. And, and so they don't know that we're really trying super hard a lot of times, you know, and, you know, you know, depending on the day, right. If I just failed like a 17 month thing and had a bunch of weight, yeah, I'd be off the rails for a year or so, uh, waiting to pick up the pieces and try again, but pretty deflated, you know, so there's different times in my life when I was trying real hard when I wasn't, but you know, the, they just they see you getting worse. They see you kind of withdrawing more. They see you're more winded. That it takes you, you know, way harder for you to get up the stairs. Like they see that you're wilting away, and they're panicking kind of because they care about you, and they're trying to they're trying to help you, but they don't know what to do. And we just get tired, you know, because we know <clears throat> it's so isolating being that big, right? Because you're just like you don't feel like you could possibly like get anybody else to understand and it just becomes hopeless where you just want to avoid those making them feel bad and those awkward conversations and feeling that pressure so you just you just cover it all up and you're just always fine nobody ever knows well but then add the physical isolation to it yeah you know we're, we're talking through the emotional personal side of it but just the fact that moving through the world at that size and finding you know, this isn't, I'm not turning this into like a, you know, a soapbox to get on and talk about accommodations or anything along those lines, but knowing that you're going to have secure seating, knowing that you're going to fit into a space, knowing that you're not going to, you know, the, the sheer fear I used to have about going over to other people's houses because I was worried I would break their furniture, you know, and they're <laughs> welcoming their home to me and inviting me over. And I'm concerned, did, was that a crack I heard when I sat down there? Like what happened there? Oh yeah. What is the yeah, bathroom I- like at their house? Like all of those things. Like I could. Yeah, I know, man. We could talk for. I we could do ten shows just on that. Be honest with you. Yeah, like I know, you know, people, people invite you. You should come over for Christmas, and you tell them no, and they don't know why. And it's because you have to think about like a hundred variables. And I'm like, you don't, you, you're how like you don't have anything I can sit in. And I'll come over for Christmas dinner or whatever, and you won't even know it. But I'm going to be sitting there 
white knuckling it, trying to put all this weight on my legs that already hurt to try to balance myself on some crappy chair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my back's going to hurt. It's like, <clears throat> you think we're sitting down having dinner. I'm like doing a workout. Right. A chair over here. Yeah, I'm doing an air squat for 45 minutes. Let's just get the pie out and get this over with. Yeah, let's get done and get me the heck out of here. And, uh, you know, you can't tell them. It, they just can't know. They just, and they're like, oh, you know, they always want to, you know, and they're just being helpful. So they're like, oh, no, we can get you, we can get you a chair. You don't have to. And, you know, we'll, we'll just be in the front room or whatever. And and then it's like, yeah, but you don't understand. I don't want to be under the spotlight where everything else about Christmas has to be altered. <laughs> so, and awkward and out of you know not natural and and everybody's gonna know it's like i don't want that attention or that, that spotlight on me so i just you know you just don't and they you know they can't quite get it because they're just wanting to include you and it's nice of them but it's like ugh. well and a big part Man. of that conversation too you know with the not understanding is like you you want to say and i have said to people i'm happy you don't understand what i'm talking about I'm happy these aren't concerns that you have to deal with, you know, let, you know, yes, there's nothing wrong with you for not understanding what it means to have to figure out if you're going to fit into a chair. That's not a fault you have. I'm happy that you don't have that concern, but understand that it is a concern that I have. So that's, that's the circumstance that I'm in right now. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, it's not even just a concern. It's just our reality, right? Uh, when you're, when you're in that spot, these are things that you have to deal with. And honestly, Christmas dinner's not worth putting up with all that, you know? Uh, you know, it, it'd be nice and it sucks that, that uh, it's kind of isolating. But for now, until I get this thing figured out, you know, this is just the way it is. Because that extra pressure and this extra anxiety, like, it also doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help the... It doesn't help your mood. It doesn't help your focus. It doesn't help anything. You know, it's almost like, you know, later, later when we talk here, I, but I had to, you know, probably get into it, but I, I actually had to simplify everything and even stop going into work and stuff because, and start working from home. Cause I'm like, I got to make this a priority. Cause mm -hmm. if I don't, I think I'm finally going to cross that, that point where there's no coming back from it, you know? Well, let's move, let's get back into your story and, and move it forward then. So we can start to get into some of that. Like one of the things you, you brought up, you know, was, you know, when you got into working, you know, as a way to keep moving, you were talking about how your father was treating you. But then when you were working for your brother, you know, that he was trying yeah. to run you around, like, do you want to catch hmm. us up to there or does that feel like a, yeah, a logical sure. place? Yeah. I mean, he was, <clears throat> that was some of the better stuff, right? He, uh, we were working on a, a 14 story, uh, uh, ski resort building and uh yeah my brother was <laughs> working me in the ground on purpose and and uh you know for because he cared and it was it was a great plan uh but you know he would i was just a parts runner at the time and and we'd be working on the 14th story and he'd be like hey you know go down in the we had our uh all of our material down in the, in the parking garage in the very bottom level and he would tell me you know go get one uh half inch connector and and I'd have to run down 14 flights of stairs and I'd go get it. And as soon as I get back, he'd tell me, all right, now go get one half inch strap. 
he could have told, you know, like he wasn't having me get all the parts and bring them up, which would, would, you know, and then, yeah, because he was, he was basically paying me to come to work so that he could make me work out for 10 hours a day. <laughs> and did he eventually tell you that? Or did you guys talk about it? Or was it just when no, you figured it out? No, it was, uh, you just have to know my family. Like, I don't know. Our family's super close, but we're not a huggy emotional touchy feely family we don't talk about feelings and things you know what i mean uh so it was a life full of tough love right <laughs> like dad would yell at you but it was he, he never did it maliciously he was doing things because he wanted you know he was trying to prepare you for the world and you know john would be uh john knew that's my brother he knew <laughs> if he uh you know he knew that I, I didn't want to be, you know, you don't want to be weak in front of your brothers, you know, and he's my older brother. So you like, he knew he just had to put the challenge out there and I wasn't going to whine about it. I was just going to do it. And it was a challenge. And, you know, you're just a sissy if you don't, if you don't do it, <laughs> you know, and he knew that I didn't want to be in that camp. And so he knew I would do it and I did do it and I did lose quite a bit of weight. Uh, but it was, you know, I, I got down to 490 pounds that year in, in nine months. And it was just from running those stairs. I lost a bunch of weight, but I was sore and miserable. I got strong. I got real strong, but I was sore and miserable and tired. And I still had, you know, this terrible soda addiction. And, and basically, if I wasn't running stairs, you know, like eight and a half hours out of the day, that was coming back on, you know, so. So it was, it had a short term result, but it wasn't sustainable, you know, it wasn't curing any, it wasn't curing any, any of the core issues, right. you know what I mean? And so where did things go for, was this, was this before or were, cause you talked about also, I was four, you mentioned, that, that was oh. when I was 14. Oh, okay. I was 14, okay. That was when you were 14. 15, okay. Yeah. 14, 15, right in there. I got that down and I started joining a gym and I started lifting and I had a couple of, I didn't hire them because we didn't have money, but they saw um, that there's two trainers there that saw that I was young and they kind of took me under their wing and they were trying to train me. And I had from working in the construction and just carrying this weight, I had <laughs> kind of crazy lower body strength, but I was super, had super weak upper body strength. And one day they caught me on the hip sled and I, I had the hip sled maxed out at a thousand pounds and I could move it like nothing, you know? And so then they came over and they're like, uh, they're like, we, we'd like to help you train, you know, it was so stupid because I could throw up, you know, you know, a thousand pounds, no problem on the hip sled. I could go, I could curl the max on the leg machines there. Uh, they had the plates on them. They're 300 pound, uh, like girl <laughs> reverse like girl i could do that and then i go over to the bench and i would like crumble under 125 pounds <laughs> you know? so it was it was embarrassing and there's this things going on and i was they just knew that i was just i didn't know what to do i didn't have a program i didn't have any direction or anything i was just flopping around doing things and so they started working with me but like my plateau at that time I got stronger, I got uh, more muscle, but like, man, uh, unless I was running those stairs, you know, eight hours a day, I was staying 525 pounds all the time, you know, and that was with working out and trying to watch what I was eating. And in my idea, that was uh, only eating, you know, two meals a day and only eating like two slices of pizza, but it was 
it was always the soda because, you know, what would happen invariably is I would just crash and I had no energy, you know, and uh, so I'd have to go get a soda, you know, and water didn't do it. Coffee didn't do it. I, but for whatever reason, that sugar, I thrived on sugar and I would get, a, you know, a ton of energy just out of a Mountain Dew, you know, a 20 ounce Mountain Dew and I'd be able to work for two more hours. And that was always the crux of my calories was soda, you know. So, but yeah, I just, I did that. I went through multiple, um, multiple calorie restrictive diets that would turn into just starvation diets. Cause I'd always get frustrated with them and it was always just easier to not eat than it was to, uh, try to eat, you know, these grazing diets. I don't know if, if they ever put you on one of those, but they would put me on this diet where I'm supposed to eat like six to eight small meals a day that were like, yeah. Now I know that that's like telling an alcoholic to have like, you know, a half a beer five times a day. Or right, something. right. To do a shot every hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just stupid, mm -hmm. you know. And so I'd always default to um, just starvation diets, like not eating at all. It was just always easier to not eat than it was to eat small portions and not, and not just, you know, cause this huge up. Uh, just constant hunger and just seemed like anxiety and these now i realize that they were insulin crashes you know blood sugar crashes on the insulin roller coaster but you know just having it a little bit made me feel so much worse than just not having it at all you know and where was mentally when you're kind of in one of these starvation phases like are you you know you have to know that you're not going to do it forever. Like where, so where was, what was it like you had, you had to get tunnel vision and just, you thought you were just going to push through for as long as you could go. Like, yeah, just as long as you could go, you know, I always, and this is why I not, but absolutely you're correct. None of it was sustainable. I always knew, I say this all the time now when people ask me what's different now versus then. And back then you, you always knew I, I'd, I'd explain it. Like it felt like, you're in one of those movies where you're hanging on by your fingernails on the side of the building and you're starting to lose your grip, you know? That's what every diet was like. You know, you you were just waiting until you've lost your grip, but you're lying to yourself saying, oh, no, I can do this. You know, you're trying to pump yourself up every day, right? And you're trying to stay focused and, you know, like, get mad, get tough, you know, all those things, <laughs> you know? And you, and you think about all these things that, you know, you got to do or else this is going to happen. You know, you got to do it for your family. You got to do it for your future. All these things. You try to pump yourself up, but the entire time you are hanging on to that ledge and you're losing your grip. And you know that it's a matter of time before you just, you, you know, you just lose your holding and you're just going to crash. Right. And you don't know how I, I the crash was always this huge source of anxiety because every time I'd crash the, you know, the damage was usually worse. I would usually gain back more weight, be sicker, be more tired. And then just mentally it just breaks you. you. You're like, I can't do this again. You know what I mean? Like when it happens, you're you just like, you just go, what's the point? You know, you just start losing hope a little bit more every time, you know? Well, and that's, you know, when I've shared different parts of my story on here before in other podcasts, like, when I would talk about like crashing on a diet didn't mean, you know, a bad week. And then I was back at it. You know, it was crashing 
convinced that nothing was going to work, convinced that I was never, you know, nothing was ever going to change. So I might as well do the one thing that quote unquote felt good. And it would be years before I would try something again. So it's like the crash isn't even so, you know, it's not, a, I had a bad weekend. It's that, okay, I'm on and now I'm off. Totally. And then when you're off too and you crash, you're not like, uh, you're not like trying to maintain any, you know, maybe you do for a minute, but we usually the crash spirals and the weight comes on and then you're not, you're not even trying to maintain what you might've gained before. Now you're just like, let it kill me, you know, fine, just take it, you know, and you just is like, what's the point you go off the Richter scale. You don't, you know, you don't, you just medicate with the food and you're like, fine, let's, let's have the endorphin rush. Let's, let's give, let's give it everything it wants then until it kills us. And let's just get done with this, you know? So you rode that roller coaster and let's, you know, let's get up into what happened in 2021. Yeah. So basically, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a process, but basically things started changing in 2015 and 16. I was in, in the ICU in 2015 again because of my lungs and it was second time and uh I just remember I was supposed to I was supposed to be meeting my wife in Maryland at the time because I'd gotten married uh in 2012 and of 2012 and I was supposed to go back home and my wife was already there in Maryland <clears throat> and then I had a long episode. I ended up in the hospital. I missed that whole thing and couldn't go back home to meet, you know, to kind of visit her family with her and uh, stuck in the hospital. My wife was kind of mad about the whole deal and I was in the ICU because I required 12 liters of oxygen just to get my oxygen back up to 90% uh, saturation. And I was in there for three days and I was like, man, something has got to change. And I was like, instead of doing all these crazy, you know, I, I was like, I'm not listening to the doctors anymore. And, but I got to do, I got to make small changes that I can, that make the most difference that I can actually sustain. And so I just made myself one promise when I was in the hospital. I was like, I'm going to stop drinking calories. I don't care if it's diet soda and unsweet nice tea and coffee and those things i at least have to stop drinking calories because i did notice that that the more soda that i drank the worse my lungs were you know i would have um more breathing problems and more sugar i was drinking and caffeine and whatever i didn't know what the combination at the time was so i was just like i'm just going to stop drinking calories and so uh i did that and I did that for a year and I lost a little bit of weight. I don't even, I, at this time, I don't even honestly remember how much I was or how much I lost. It was negligible, but I was feeling better and it was white knuckle, but I did that for, <clears throat> for about a year. Um, and it got into 2016 and then in 2016, some bad stuff happened. Um, long story short, my brother, uh, I ended up having a bunch of heart attacks because an urgent care gave him the wrong the wrong medication for a cold that he had and he got an infection that spread to his heart and my dad got sicker and he got leukemia and he couldn't take the chemo because of so many years of taking heart medication he had uh, kidney failure so he couldn't take the chemo so dad was basically on hospice Ty had ruined his heart and was in a 
he was in a nursing home because he couldn't even sit up because the his heart didn't pump strong enough to pump blood to his brain when he'd even be vertical. So, you know, he was waiting for he was waiting to heal up enough that he would even be a good candidate for a heart transplant. And that was when he was 38 at the time. And uh so life got really stressful <clears throat> and my wife had real bad PTSD from some abuse that she went through when from the time she was 11 till she was 16 she was abused by a friend of her dad's and so she had real very very severe PTSD from that and anytime things got stressful she would go into a a terrible depression and uh my life was so stressful cuz my my dad was dying my brother was dying my Oxygen was so bad, my health had gotten so bad, and the family business that I worked for was really struggling financially. So it was like just the worst. It was just a living hell. And I was trying to keep, you know, the stress uh, from being, you know, I for seven years I was able to keep our house pretty stress free. I just never brought any problems home. I just always swallowed it, you know, and I just put on a show for her, just like I did everybody else, and everything was fine. Kept the money problems and things away but when ty and dad and all this came to a head i just i couldn't anymore i mean i was just overwhelmed with stress and things and she saw it and she went into a pretty terrible depression and, and was like a suicidal depression and so she was she did what she had to do she was just trying to get away from it and she ended up taking off and you know that was the last time i saw her was uh in 2016 she just left was gone and so that happened and then uh I just was like, I got to do something here. Um, and so I uh, I started doing a, a bodybuilder diet that my brother was doing. And this was trying to figure out my weight at the time. And then dad and Ty both died 11 days apart. And that threw me into a, our whole family kind of into spiral. And also, I don't talk about it much, but when I was young, I had a pretty good gambling addiction because in Montana, there's casinos on every corner, and I'd I'd beat that before I got married. But after this, I was just, I think, I, I don't know, I think I just oh. wanted an excuse to end it all, you know? And uh, so well, I was a lot going on. That was, you know, calling that a lot is an understatement, man. It was yeah, it was bad, and I I went on a bender, <laughs> and I was just, to be honest with you, I was just... Uh, planning on calling it a day when after that bender like i was at I, looking back on it now i know i was just i was trying to make things so bad that <clears throat> i'd finally just you know end it all and that's kind of where i was at on that whole thing uh and then you know that came and went and i was at that point and uh then i really it was funny because it was like a weight was lifted because i was finally just going to get out of here in the the struggle was going to be over, and uh, and then I started really thinking about things, and I realized, you know, I'd been being kind of selfish about all this because I was just thinking about how miserable I was, but my family was in the same boat. They lost Dad and Ty, too, you know, and then I started realizing, you know, because until you get to that point and you start thinking about how this is actually gonna work and what mess you're gonna leave behind and who's gonna find you and all these things uh it's rough because then you realize that you don't want to do this to your family you know so then i was like oh, i can go to the i can drive someplace so that nobody 
only the sheriff would find me and that would be better. But then I started thinking about, uh, you know, I do, uh, in our business, you know, our business is kind of our entire family's livelihood. And I'm actually a very, very big part here. You know, I do, uh, if I wasn't there in the business, that would all fall on my brother. And I was like, I don't know if he can do it all on his own, you know? And then I started really realizing that for some reason that wasn't clear in my head until I <laughs> I dug this even worse financial miserable hole to me. But then in this moment of clarity, I saw it and I was like, man, this sucks. I can't do this to my brother, you know? He's going to have to deal, you know, with the same tragedy that we all are dealing with now, plus this, plus try to do his workload and my workload while we're struggling, you know? I was like, God, oh, what was I thinking? You know, like it just all started coming in. And uh, then <laughs> the most dumb thing, my dog came in and lay down and she could just feel something bad was happening or something. And then I realized, oh, crap, who's going to feed my dog? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and all these dumb realizations and I just realized that man I'd just been wrapped up in my own misery and it was really kind of selfish because I wasn't thinking about you know everybody else is going through all this pain too and I was like oh can I do this to mom and my sister and my brother and even though you know it would have been the easiest thing to do had I not thought of those things you know like it would it was calming but it was because I finally calmed down and was just like, all right, this is going to be over. Then I could actually see those things for what it was. And it was, I realized I was about to be a real jerk <laughs> if I did all this. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, and it sucked too, because <laughs> I'd got myself in quite the pickle that night uh, gambling in a pretty giant way. And uh yeah, and then I was just like, I can't do this. Uh, you know, if I die trying to fix it, then that's fine. But I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't do this to everybody. It's going to be miserable. So then, next, it was funny, but next day that was kind of one thing. It it kept me occupied, but it also hurt my health a little worse. But I started because uh, I was doing my day job 55 hours a week and then I started driving Uber to try to fix the uh, <laughs> financial nightmare I just got myself in and I was just pouring myself into that I was I was literally uh getting up at six in the morning you know, I go to I get up at six in the morning to get ready for my day job at seven I'd work my day job until 5 30 I go home and sleep until 8 30 at night from 5 30 p.m. to 8 30 p.m. and then I get up and I drive Uber until six o'clock in the morning until I just went straight to work and then I drive all weekend long and I did end up digging myself out I did that for a couple of years and it was a good distraction because I couldn't be home anyhow everything in that house reminded me of my wife you know and Ty and dad and it was just good to have a distraction but being so sedentary sedentary all day long sedentary in that car all night long and on the weekends and uh my health was just going downhill and it was getting to where i couldn't get up the stairs to my office and i'd bloomed up to 650 pounds at that time and my health was getting real bad and uh so that was about the time my brother i was talking to him and i i had kept up the no drinking calories which was making my lungs better but other things were suffering and so um 
long story short, uh, I just told him, I said, I got to work from home because I got to, I got to try to figure this out and I got to try to try to make things simpler, you know, and I was at this time I'd been, I wasn't working in the field anymore. I hadn't been working in the field a long time. I got moved into the office and started doing, uh, designs and bids and things like that and doing electrical engineering type work. And, um, I was focusing on that. And so I could do that from home. And also the other thing that happened is I moved out of my house when my dad and brother died, they were living with my mom. Well, my mom for the first time since she was, well, first time ever, she was living alone now because dad and Ty were gone. And so she was by herself and she had uh, Parkinson's and a brain tumor. So she needed somebody to live with her. So I moved in with mom and I started working from home there, try to, so mom would have company. I didn't have a wife anymore, you know, so that's what I did. And that's where things got worse, but then eventually got better. Long story short, I was doing this terrible <clears throat> bodybuilder diet, which was high protein, low fat, moderate carbohydrates. And sounds like uh, it was the worst <laughs> diet I'd ever been on. It made me like, seriously, it like made me suicidally depressed. I didn't realize it why at the time. But it was because I was <laughs> I was not processing fat or protein at the time as energy, and I was giving myself just enough carbohydrates to like keep me from you know <laughs> I don't know like just enough to barely give me any energy. But it was the most depressed and full anxiety I'd ever been in my life, and I did that for fourteen months. And I lost thirty seven pounds after fourteen months of living on that hell diet, and. Uh, I remember it. I mean, it was the same thing every day. I was eating egg whites and turkey sausage in the morning for breakfast. And I was eating uh, brown rice with egg whites. So it was like egg white fried brown rice uh, with uh, dry chicken breast. And then I would take protein powders and put it in non-fat Greek yogurt and make like a chocolate protein pudding powder. And this is what I was eating every day, you know, and I was drinking diet sodas and diet you know, non-calorie drinks and stuff, but that was all I was eating every day. And I never felt that was literally the most miserable diet I'd ever been on in my life. And I just was putting everything into it. But after 14 months, I was like, if I don't make this dry chicken taste better, <laughs> mm. I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. I mean, I had, now I know I had meat aversion at the time to chicken, but I just couldn't put another piece of it in my mouth. I was just, it was nauseating to try to eat it. And I was so miserable and so depressed and so out of energy. And I looked up online how to, uh, how to cook the best way to cook chicken. So that it's juicy basically. And it came up with sous vide cooking. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but yeah. And so I looked up and it took me to this channel on YouTube called sous vide everything. And I was watching it to learn how to sous vide and I'd ordered this sous vide machine because I was like, if I don't make this chicken better, because I couldn't put, I couldn't put sauces and stuff on it. There wasn't, you know, I tried the sugar-free sauces and they tasted terrible, you know? Uh, so I was just trying to make it better and I ordered a sous vide machine and a vacuum sealer and all this stuff and the racks and all this stuff. And I was watching this channel. Well, these guys kept their whole thing is they'd make like picanha steak and ribeye steaks, sous vide, and then seared in butter, you know? And I was watching this and I wanted one of those steaks so bad. I just kept seeing it and seeing it. And I'd watched so many of it. I'm like, all right, when this sous vide machine gets here, I'm going to make a 
ribeye, sous vide ribeye, and I'm going to sear it in butter, and I'm going to have one of those before I go back to, you know, chicken, dry chicken purgatory. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to have one. And, uh, of course, I say now I was lying to myself because I went to Costco, and or I didn't go to Costco. I ordered on Instacart, but I ordered four, a pack of four ribeyes at Costco. <laughs> and so uh, I realized, you know, I was probably going to eat four of them. But uh, anyhow, I'd, I worked out the macros, and I looked at it, and I was like, you know, if I just eat one meal a day instead of two, and I just have the ribeye, it's going to be higher fat than I'm supposed to have, but actually the calories and the macros aren't too bad, you know, compared to my overall calorie intake of the crappy diet that I've been doing. So it's like, I can fit these in, but I can only have one meal a day if I do that. And so I got there and I made one ribeye and I seared it in butter and it was glorious. It was the best tasting thing I'd had in so long. But what I didn't expect was I ate that thing and my depression kind of lifted. And for the first time in a long, long time, I had like a little bit of an endorphin fix and I was happy and my mood lifted and I had energy and I felt almost euphoric. And I thought, well, this is just because my brain is so happy to not be eating dry chicken for once, you know, that like, I'm just very, very happy to be having this thing. And I didn't think much of it. But I thought, well, I'm going to eat these four ribeyes, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to eat one a day and I'm not going to let them go to waste. And then I'll go back to chicken. Well, I did that for four consecutive days. Just ate one meal, just one ribeye seared in butter. And they were absolutely delicious. But not only that, I had so much energy. I had lost, uh, lost all the depression and anxiety. I was sleeping good and I was waking up kind of happy <laughs> and my mood had lifted and then I got on the scale and just after eating those four ribeyes I lost nine pounds in four days where I'd lost it took me 14 months to lose 37 pounds and I just lost nine pounds in four days and I'm like and obviously it was fluid I didn't realize that at the time but it was so much better it was blowing my mind and I had to Go research. I went and typed into Google, why am I feeling great and losing weight off of ribeye seared in butter? You know, and it brought up ketogenic diets. I'd never, I'd heard of Atkins, but you know, uh, that was considered crazy. And you were, you know, you're nut job if you did Atkins. And all of a sudden, this ketogenic information starts popping up, and I start researching it. And it starts really ringing a bell with me. You know, I start learning about insulin resistance. I start learning about being fat adapted and how, you know, when you're on the insulin roller coaster, your bodies won't burn fat. And that made sense. And how, you know, it just, it all clicked with me, you know, and that's what got me on that, that path. Um, and then I, I know we're kind of going long, so. I'll... No, no, it's okay. We're good. Okay. Perfect. Um, and so that, I, I wish I would have stuck with just eating the ribeyes because that would have sped things up and I'd be much further along right now. But unfortunately, I didn't, it didn't take me to carnivore, it took me to keto diets. And then I started reading about keto diets and that took me off into the weeds because then I got into all the processed, commercialized keto junk food, basically. Because I thought, oh well, you, as long as it's keto, you can <laughs> you can do all this stuff. So I'm, you know, making fathead dough pizzas and chaffles and fat bombs and bulletproof coffees <laughs> and 
<laughs> and I'm getting like the, the Atkins, uh, you know, uh, like peanut butter cups and stuff and protein bars and all this junk. And it was still better than the high protein weightlifter diet that I was on, but it was also making it really hard to not crave real sugar and carbohydrates and things. And it was a constant struggle, which was still, you know, was still based off of, you know, willpower basically. And, you know, <laughs> I don't care who you are. Hunger, hunger is going to win a thousand percent of the time over any kind of long period of time. If you don't fix that, you know, and, um, <clears throat> so that put me on two long stints of keto kind of, kind of what I call, you know, junk keto. Uh, and I had, you know, varied success it was better than the standard american diet i was on it was better than the even the high protein diet i was on but it was also put me in a bad cycle too where i'd fall off fall you know fall off of it have cheat days get back on at least they were shorter but it was still brutal um and so finally i read the book uh by jason fung the diabetes code uh and he was talking about insulin resistant in the and insulin resistance in the body's mass uh, mass insulin fasted insulin set point. And I was like, okay. And uh, he basically was saying that whatever your fasted insulin level is going to have a relationship to the size that your body wants to be. And the only thing that lowers your body's um, fasted insulin set point is fasting, long, long for long-term fasting. So me being the compulsive kind of all in guy that I am, I was like, all right, I'm going to do a 40 day water fast. And if I can do it for 40 days and everything's better, I'm just going to keep it going for another 40 days and just see how long I can do this. And like an idiot. <laughs> and now what you just give us in context, what year was this that you were just two? This was uh, 2000, uh, right, like end of 2020, first of 2021, right in there. And so, and by this time I'd been going through this, but my legs, had, I was getting uh, some lymphedema. My legs were swelling up. Uh, I was holding on to fluid. I was also, I'd, I'd done the Uber thing for like a couple solid years, which was not good for me. I put on a bunch of weight and now I was fighting this thing and uh I was getting really sedentary I was working from home and I was pretty much stuck in the house at this point because I was even though my I was able to get fluid off and I was trying to get my diet under control I was on such a yo-yo diet and I don't know about you but every time that I lose weight and gain it back in a hurry my health would go downhill I'd get weaker and sicker every time that would happen and so that was really having playing havoc on you know, on my health. And I was, uh, pretty, pretty well already getting stuck in this stupid chair that I was in working from home. And, uh, so that was why I was getting desperate and I was like, all right, I got to do this fast. And so I, I was counting on the fast to put me over the hill. And, uh, then I did the four, I was working on the 40 day fast. I got to day 21 and I got super sick. In fact, it came out of left field because, I was just sitting there and I had a massive asthma attack and I could not figure out where that came from because since I'd stopped drinking sugar, my lungs were actually getting better, you know? 
and I had this massive asthma attack and I don't know if you've ever had one, but man, it just feels like an elephant sitting on your chest and, and then you, you kind of have a panic attack that goes along with it. And, uh, it's just miserable. And I'm like, what is going on? So I had to talk to my doctor and as it would turn out, uh, I, I, I wasn't taking potassium and I had not, I'd been drinking a bunch of water cause I wasn't putting any food in. And so I was drinking tons of water and I was peeing a bunch and I had gotten depleted on potassium. And as it would turn out, if you get your potassium too low, it screws up your blood plasma and then it doesn't hold uh, red blood platelets very well. And you, and so I, anyhow, I, I tanked my red blood cell count and my blood cell, my red blood cells were so low that I wasn't, you know, they weren't there to carry oxygen. And so I was having this, uh, breathing problem and this red blood cell problem and so I had to break the fast but unfortunately when I had that stupid uh, red blood cell problem my immune system was like you know on fumes and I caught COVID right then and that was terrible because it hit me super super hard I got pneumonia like right away and I already had these lung problems since I was 18. When I got reactive airway disease, I would get pneumonia and bronchitis like every year. And that's where I'd usually end up in the hospital. That's what landed me in the ICU both times was I would get uh, like a bronchitis and then bite it for months. And then, and then my lungs would just tank. And so anyhow, I did that. I had COVID and I was contemplating what to do and it was getting real bad real quick. But a buddy of mine, Ryan was, uh, in the hospital at that time. He'd gotten COVID one year or one week, week earlier than me. And right at that time, uh, I didn't really agree with the, the remdesivir treatments that they're giving people in the hospital and they gave it to Ryan. And within like 17 hours, he passed away and he was the same age as me and way healthy. And so when that happened, I was just, it was slap in the face. And I was just like, if I, if I go in the hospital, I'm a dead man, you know? And so I just decided to stay at home and battle through it. My sister and her husband had had it and they had uh, been using ivermectin uh, and these nebulizers and stuff. So she kind of had a treatment that she was doing. So I just, I opted to stay at home and do that. And uh, yeah, I was just, several weeks it was like 14 15 days of a fever and pneumonia and i was coughing up these chunks of blood out of my lungs and it was it was miserable and i I never felt sicker in my life um and then the worst part was right after that i gained uh i gained like 84 pounds of fluid in three weeks and i didn't realize it at the time but uh long story short i got through that but now I was well over 700 pounds yeah. in this chair. I couldn't stand, couldn't breathe. I was weak. I was sleeping in this recliner. I'd wake up at night gasping for air. I was just swelled up and sick as a dog. And I worked on this for like four months to six months, somewhere in there. This is where I don't really pay attention too much to the timelines. Things were a little bit loopy at that time. But it came to a crux where I'd gotten past the COVID I was working on getting this fluid off me. I really wasn't doing any kind of diet because I really wasn't even hardly eating because I was as sick as a dog trying to get this fluid off me. And uh, and I was getting it off. I was doing some naturopathic things. I was drinking celery juice and 
taking uh, oregano oil and um, these things that were supposed to be helping my lungs and getting the fluid off me. But it was super slow going. And then I was accustomed to waking up from a sleep gasping for air and having this massive like oxygen deprivation headache. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was bad and it would be, you know, you'd, you'd be confused and couldn't recall words and things. But usually it would come back after like 10 minutes of, of breathing, you know, and waking up and breathing. But one day I don't, I don't know what happened, but it must have gotten real bad. And I woke up and I had the worst headache, and I was so confused and couldn't recall words and almost couldn't talk. And it was so bad, I thought I actually had a stroke. And I checked mm-hmm. my, I had a pulse ox sensor I'd put on my finger, and I checked that, and my oxygen was like sixty-two percent. And something yeah. bad had happened that night. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, something just felt real wrong that day. And and unlike all the other times, uh, I was trying to breathe to get my brain to kind of boot back up and kind of not be confused and kind of get my bearings. And where normally I could do that in like 10 minutes, this time, like six and a half hours later, I still was not right. Something was wrong, you know? So, unfortunately, I had to call an ambulance and they had to bring a crew of people and get me in the ambulance and uh took me to the hospital and yeah that's when they told me that i had covid lung and that covid had scarred up my lungs and i also had suffered congestive heart failure and i had lymphedema and my heart wasn't pumping hard enough to get the fluid out of me anymore and uh so i had to stay in the hospital for 11 days on lasix to get the fluid off of me and they had gotten like 64 pounds of fluid off me in 11 days when I was in the hospital. And then, yeah, they're just like, we don't know enough about COVID lung. Uh, we don't know if it's going to heal up or not. Um, but you've got bigger problems. Uh, you got to start taking heart medication. You got to start taking high blood pressure medication. You got to start taking blood thinners. Um, you got to start taking uh, all this crap. Um and I can't, I can, the gout medication they gave me to, potassium pills they gave me, fluid pills they gave me. They just gave me like all, all these prescriptions and sent yeah, me a whole, a whole new medicine cabinet to go home with. Yeah, a whole new medicine cabinet. And they gave me a oxygen concentrator. And they're like, you have to be on oxygen now. And they set me up for like three months down the road to do a sleep study for a CPAP for sleep apnea. And. That was where, you know, I just got home with all this crap and I just like, this is my life now, taking all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it'd been a long time. I'd been stuck in that chair for a long time at this point, like going on a year because I, even before I got COVID, I was <clears throat> hardly getting out of that chair. It was getting tougher and tougher. And now I was to the point when I came back, I couldn't stand for 90 seconds, you know? I couldn't get to the bathroom hardly, you know, like it was all I could do to get to the bathroom, you know, and it was just miserable. And, uh, so I kind of wallowed in that until September 28th of 2022. I had wallowed in all that stuff and hadn't really decided. I was still on the fence whether I was going to try to take another shot at anything or, or if this was just going to get the best of me, you know. And uh, so I finally 
luck the, the oxygen was doing me good the oxygen was allowing me to sleep a little bit better and it was uh, helping me heal up a little bit um and so that did uh did a fair amount of good for me but also i was getting like atrophied too and that was making me weaker and weaker which was not good and i was just so full of fluid the fluid had become a real problem because you know no matter i was too heavy i just kept breaking recliners like i had to get these electric recliners but my legs were so full of fluid i mean each calf was 35 inches in diameter and i don't know how many hundreds of pounds my legs weighed but i would get these expensive recliners and they would lift my legs up but they would break within a week or two the foot thing would just crumble and it was a real problem um so <laughs> so i had to get i kept buying my sister kept uh, we'd find like footstools that were real sturdy looking footstools and i'd have to get two of them because i couldn't fit both my legs on one footstool so i'd have to get like two footstools and then i used to have to tie these like <laughs> i ordered these uh like climbers ropes off of ebay or off of amazon and i'd tie them around my ankles so that i could help lift my legs up onto these stools you know and if my legs were down, they'd collect all this fluid, so I had to bring them up. But if my legs were up too long, all that weight would be on my knees, and then my knees would lock up. And, it, and sometimes it even pulled like my hips out of the socket. It felt like my hip was sliding out of the socket because it had this weird um, pressure on my hip that was not natural. And so I was just having all these problems, and it was just a living hell, to be honest with you. And uh, I was just stuck there. You know, and I, I didn't know, I, I don't know what my highest weight was really. It could have been 750 pounds or higher. Uh, I really don't know. But finally, in September 28th of 2022, I was like, I am doing keto again, but this time I'm going to do super strict keto. And how is that for a cliffhanger, people? Because this is the end of part one of Todd's journey here on the Fat Guy Forum. When we, he and I were recording, I realized he had a lot more to say, and I didn't want to be cutting him off, so we made the decision to turn this into a two-part episode. So we are ending with Todd on the precipice of going strict keto, and you're going to see where it has taken him since then, since September of last year, into the new year of this year, and now as we're headed towards the end of 2023, what is Todd up to? So I am so excited for you to hear part two next week. I hope that you enjoyed this first part, this really deep dive into what brought Todd to where he was last year, and I hope you're excited to hear where he goes from there. Thank you again for listening, my friends. As always, you are the most amazing people I know, so go out there, do something to amaze yourselves today, and hey, you better not miss us next week on part two of Todd's interview on the Fat Guy Forum. <laughs>